they talk about him exactly the way the Bible describes him. <laughs> they said it's hard to describe his voice. It's it's like it's like rushing water. It's like a you know they, you know like the Bible says that you know what I'm saying. But almost without fail, they talk about the light and the life and the love. He says, you know, it's just um, it's an amazing thing, and and we get to experience that here amen this is not just uh, uh something for later but we get measures of him and his goodness and his glory here praise god um i'm excited about what we're going to do tonight it's going to be a little different tonight if it goes the way i believe the holy spirit showed me that it's going to go but as we pray over the word i want us to also ask you to agree with me um I have been honored with an opportunity to oversee a the training arm of an organization called uh, ACRAM. It started out the Alabama Association of Christian Recovery Ministries, but we now have people from other states that are wanting to be a part of it, so we dropped the Alabama, and it's just Association of Christian Recovery Ministries, and um, we hold quarterly training, and we've mentioned this before. And so the first quarter for 2023 training, we host it here at Heritage. It'll be tomorrow. And um, we have 99 people registered, uh, faith leaders from around the state of Alabama and I think a couple in Georgia, maybe different places. So uh, anyway, we're going to pray over the word, but would you just agree with me uh, for that event uh, tomorrow? I believe the Lord's going to really do some amazing things uh, among those leaders. Uh, Father, as we come to you, uh, this evening, we, we first of all thank you for this time of worship together. And Lord, I thank you for a family of faith. Lord, I thank you for, for the men and women that are in this room and those watching online, Father. And Lord, that, that we just come together now in agreement for the uh, ministry uh, tomorrow. Lord, that there are going to be uh, people here who, uh, Lord, need to hear from you. They need to experience you, Father. They need times of refreshing from your Holy Spirit, and I thank you, Father, that they're going to, to find you and find those times of refreshing and, and wisdom, Lord, for the journey, uh, equipping for their ministry, uh, Lord, here tomorrow. Thank you for the things that you've uh, given me to give to them, and I believe, Father, that it's going to be a, a life-changing uh, opportunity, Lord, to equip those who minister to others. Lord, thank you for your word as we come before it tonight. I thank you for helping us hear, help us bring our hearts to attention, help us receive. Lord, I thank you that you, you have led us to a very important uh, subject, Lord, a, a very um, crucial subject, and, and I thank you that you're unfolding it and revealing it and opening our eyes to things that we have been blinded to or haven't seen clear enough. And I thank you, Lord, for your hand upon the preparation time for this message, and I thank you now for your hand upon the delivery of it. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Praise God. So for the uh, media booth, I have connection, I have access, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure that I'm going to use the slides. Um, in, uh, in preparing for uh, tonight, and just given the things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, the Lord, and I don't want to try to make this out to be more spiritual than it sounds, when I say He gave me a vision, I don't mean an open vision, I just mean in my mind and in my imagination, he, he showed me a, um, a, a wall that um, someone had taken a paint roller and basically 
did all that could be done with the paint roller, but left all the edges and everything. Um, uh, I think a, a professional painter calls that cutting it in, and it, it had not been cut in. And and what he, I can read it better here in just a moment, but you know what he really impressed upon me is that we need to keep pushing through this because what what we're doing now is is cutting in and 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 really getting the the full picture of what it is that he is wanting us to understand as it relates to this particular area of understanding and receiving from him now i'm going to read some things to you tonight that the that the lord has uh, has given me and as i said before when i was just a kid knowing that I was called to preach I had a great aunt and uh, I'm sure she's in heaven and I'm amen she knew the Lord but boy she was just giving her pastor down the country one one time and and um and she said all he does is stand in the pulpit and read to us you know and obviously I guess she was wanting him to to preach and and share more and but you know how things get planted in your mind as a little kid I thought oh man if one day when I'm preaching, I better not just stand in the pulpit and read to people. They don't like that, you know. And, um, and so, amen. I probably should do it more than I, than I do, but I really felt led of the Lord to, to just read it the, the way he has given it to me. I, I know, just like you, when, when you study, and, and I call it hitting the gusher, you know, when the Lord's just speaking to you faster than you can, than you can type it and. And um, sometimes he'll do that, and I'll just take from these notes and make slides and then just kind of talk about it. But I felt led to do it a little differently um, tonight, so I appreciate um, you um, being attentive and allowing the Holy Spirit uh, to, to speak to you. Paul talked about, uh, he, you know, to a group uh, at a church, he said, look, he said, I, I appreciate you because you recognize that the words that I speak aren't my words, you know, that, that, they're, that they're the Lord's words. And and listen, you, you do what you are supposed to do, and that is check everything that I say from this pulpit by the Word of God and by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. I'm not telling you to not do that. But I appreciate you recognizing that this is more than an effort on my part to entertain you with something I've written. This is something I believe that the Lord is breathing on and that He wants to say to us tonight. Amen. So I'm going to do my best just to read through it. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to stop at some points and, and maybe... Uh, explain some things or comment on some things but uh, but anyway let's just kind of start here so it begins this way think of learning the things of God the way you would paint a room in your house covering the majority of the walls with a paint roller goes quickly but it takes time and precision to paint the corners and the narrow bands against the ceiling doors windows and baseboards in our current study we are not rolling we're cutting in. We are not covering broad stroke subjects. We are defining and refining. With that said, there is a greater potential for me to brush a little too heavy handed in certain places and get some paint where it doesn't belong. And that's how the Lord told me to, to explain that. I, I, I said multiple times throughout our study to please hear the spirit of what I'm saying and not the letter. I don't think I've ever preached a series of sermons that has greater potential for someone to misunderstand, take out of context, and twist my words into something that I never said or meant to say. 
And you say, well, Pastor, what do you mean? I said, well, when I I talk about spending time in prayer and fasting and all these things as Christian disciplines and how they're no substitute for faith and can't compensate for weak and wavering faith, it'd be very easy for somebody to say, Pastor Mark said we shouldn't read the Bible. Pastor Mark said we shouldn't pray and fast. Pastor Pastor Mark never said that. What Pastor Mark said is that those things are important and powerful and necessary, but... If our faith is in how many people we have praying for us and not in God, then we have misplaced our faith. And so in our current study, we're not rolling, we're cutting in. We're not covering broad stroke subjects. We're defining and refining. With that said, there is a greater potential for me to brush a little too heavy handed in certain places and get some paint where it doesn't belong. This study is tedious and time consuming. I would prefer to grab a roller and move to another room. But we are here because the Holy Spirit is breathing on this. Father wants to give us some things we don't know how to receive. We're not just cutting these walls in for our benefit, but for His also. In that interest, I was led tonight to put some tape on the edges and simply write a portion of the sermon. These thoughts begin with 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 where the Bible speaks of those in the last days who will have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof or deny the power of God. And we are instructed in Scripture to turn away from such people. Anytime the Scriptures tell us to turn away from a group of people who hold a certain set of beliefs or practices is practices is because those beliefs and practices have the potential to influence and contaminate our own jesus used the example of leaven beware of the leaven of herod beware of the leaven of the pharisees he's talking about the way they think the the way they do things the way they operate their mindsets and their attitudes and he said it's like leaven just a little bit of it left uh unattended will contaminate the the whole lump of the wholesome and true things that he came to this earth to teach us and so it's one of the strongest things that can be said in scripture from such turn away and he's saying that we should turn away from in other words not allow those who substitute a form of godliness for the true power of god in their lives because this is a great a tactic of the enemy uh, has always been, but remember he said that this would escalate as we draw more and more towards the end. So keep that in mind as we continue forward from here. Faith must be based upon something. If faith is not based upon God, we will try to find something else to support it. If faith is not based upon God, we will search for something else to rest it upon because faith rests and brings rest. The expressions based upon and rest upon are different ways of saying faith must be supported by something. Genuine faith in God rests upon God and is supported by knowing Him. To know Him You must be willing to come to Him and submit yourself to Him. 
Your confidence in a promise can never be greater than your confidence in the one who made the promise. You will never trust what someone says more than you trust the person who said it. Trying to have confidence in what God says without knowing Him intimately and having confidence in His nature, character, and ability will always leave a door open in your heart for doubt. Now, in the absence of full confidence in God's person, I want to just spend a minute there, okay? There are lots of ways the Bible identifies and explains faith for us and to us. In the same way that there are multiple ways that the Bible explains and communicates love to us. We have in the scriptures what love is, the multiple characteristics of, of genuine love. We have love demonstrated for us in the life of Jesus. So we have it both in writing and then in living word form. Jesus, the word of God, made flesh. And he is demonstrating for us um, faith. He is demonstrating for us hope. He is demonstrating for us love. And remember, these three things go together. They work together. They produce results in our lives together in the same way that they did in the life of Jesus on this earth as our example for all things. Amen. So when we talk about faith as it's revealed to us through the life example of Abraham, we see faith defined in Abraham's life as him being fully persuaded. Fully persuaded that God would do what God promised he would do. His faith was not just in what God promised him, but his faith was in God's ability to do what God said. So we've talked about that here of late, that we are in a promised generation of the church and people are so focused upon the promises. And this is what I mean by there's so much room here for me to be too heavy-handed with this and, and get some paint on the ceiling uh, and you think I'm saying something I'm not saying. Thank God for the promises. The promises are yes and amen. They're living and powerful. But they work in our lives based upon our faith in those promises. Amen? There are all kinds of things that God has promised all kinds of people for all kinds of generations that those people have never experienced in their life reality. Things that God desired, things that God paid a very high price for those people to have and experience and enjoy in their life reality, but they never did. Not because God failed them, not because God didn't come through for them, not because God let them down. It was because they didn't understand God's ways of, of receiving and, and, and God's ways of, of walking in what it is that He has given to them. Remember, faith receives what grace has already given. So we, we need to have a standard for our understanding of faith as it being fully persuaded. Fully persuaded, not partially persuaded. Because we see what James said about faith and receiving from God and how wavering or being double-minded, uh, meaning the opposite of fully persuaded. Being double-minded means you're partially persuaded. King Agrippa was almost persuaded. 
And while that's, that's good and we're making progress, it's not the same as being fully persuaded. So in the absence then of this full persuasion, or as I'm saying it here, in the absence of full confidence in God's person, in the absence of full confidence in God's person, which is that's where our faith is supposed to rest. Amen. That's where faith is supposed to rest. One of the ways, one of the great barometers, one of the great measurements for whether or not you or or I am in faith is if we're at rest. Faith rests. But faith brings rest because of faith, because of, of, of who faith rests in. Amen. So in the absence of full confidence in God's person, we look for other things to support our faith, somewhere else for our faith to rest. This is why we long to feel something when we pray. This is why we long to feel something when we're prayed for. We want to rest our faith on what we felt. We long to experience something that appeals to our rational mind, something to hang our faith on, something we can look to for evidence that our prayer was heard and our answer is coming. These efforts are an attempt to fill the gap and compensate for our missing certainty or our missing confidence or our missing persuasion. Amen. See, if, if we're not fully persuaded, if we, if we don't have that full certainty, there's something in us that, that looks for something else to, to give us that boost. And, and um, you know, I, I, I believe in, you know, all the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I've, I've been, you know, used by God in some of the gifts of the Spirit, not all of those gifts, uh, the utterance gifts and, and, and things of that nature. I've also been ministered to by others who operate in the gifts of the Spirit. You know, things that Matthew has spoken into my life, things that, that, that uh, Donald has spoken into my life, things that Lawrence Harris has spoken into my life, and then even things that I don't have time to tell tonight. But, but you know, Brother Jesse Duplantis walking to, you know, in a service with him and him walking to my, uh, the, the aisle, you know, the, walking down the aisle, and I was about halfway down middle of the section. He points to me and says, come here, you know, and, and told me about things that I had talked to the Lord about earlier that day. Um, and, you know, those kinds of things are things that, you know, we look for and, and long for because we, we want it to have something that we can rest our faith on. And, and so, again, that's what we mean by by something that appeals to our rational mind, a sign. How many people in the Bible kept asking Jesus for a sign? You know, because they're, they're wanting to, they realize that they, they want something to, to rest their faith on, and, and they're not willing to submit themselves to Him and ultimately put their faith and confidence in Him, so they look for something else. Let me keep going here. Satan bombards our minds with conflicting thoughts in an effort to sow seeds and weeds of doubt in our hearts. We fall into his trap when we combat these attacks by trying to shore up weak and wavering faith with thoughts or even declarations of our faithful adherence to Christian disciplines and faith principles. 
all in an effort to achieve full persuasion and silence the voice of every doubt. Be careful resting your faith on how much you have prayed and or fasted, how frequently you attend church, or how many other people you have praying for you. Prayer with fasting is powerful, and church attendance is a must. But resting your faith on these is not the same as resting your faith upon God. If your faith is resting upon what you have done and are doing, then your faith is ultimately resting upon yourself no matter how good or noble your efforts may be. Now, that's been the part right there. And um, listen, the Bible says, let those who are taught the word communicate with him who teaches in every good thing. And so I am thankful for the feedback that I have received. I am thankful because, again, sometimes what, what people are hearing me say is not what I'm saying and, and certainly not what I'm, I'm intending. Um, and, you know, we've tried to cover as many different examples in Scripture as possible to, to validate or to, to, you know, in the mouth of two or more witnesses, let every word be established, you know. We, we talked about um, the seven sons of Siva, you know. <laughs> Boy, they had, they had it down pat, right? We adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. But, you know, the principle was right, but there was no faith. I have believed, therefore I have spoken. And that's such a powerful combination. But if you're speaking to try to compensate for weak and wavering faith, you're getting the cart before the horse. And that's, the, that's when I say we're, we're cutting in, and sometimes I can be a little too heavy-handed and maybe get some paint on the baseboard or the ceiling or, or what have you. That's okay. We're going to, you know, come behind me with a, with a little rag and wipe that off, but don't, don't wipe off everything the Holy Spirit's trying to fill in some of these gaps with because I'm, I'm, the more He shows me about this, the more, it's, again, it's this concept of misplaced faith. And, and what I've tried in these last few paragraphs is to, is to help you see as to why we're prone to that because we're, we're desperately trying to, to find something that we can rest our faith upon that'll, that'll, that'll give us that, that sense of full persuasion when we lack it. I'll say it again. This is why we long to feel something when we pray. If you go out of here saying, Pastor Mark said you shouldn't feel anything, that's not what I'm saying. But you do know that you don't have to feel something. We long for it. And I'm thankful. I felt, I felt things tonight. Man, I got... Ooh, Holy Spirit came on me in class, man. I, I started like, man, you know. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but I, if, And I'll use this as a classic example. Last Wednesday, I left out of here thinking, man, why did I even, why did I even come to church last night? I, that was, and then I listened to the sermon, and I'm like, boy, you lying devil. You know, you lying devil. Amen. And... Um, because again, there's there's truth there. Matter of fact, sister sister Vicky, she lives up in the Huntsville area, and she's like, man, you know, two two or three days later, she goes, took me a while, I didn't get to listen to it live. Thank you for that sermon. I'm like, so somebody did listen to it. Wow, okay, you know, I mean, it's like, um, and I thought, well, maybe I need to listen to it. And so the enemy is fighting this. I'm just trying to tell you, the enemy is fighting this. And he's wanting, he's trying, the enemy is the author of confusion. And, the, and in Jesus' name, you are not being confused. 
Amen. But please hear what I'm saying. We, we can never, through our own efforts, compensate, make up for what only faith will accomplish in our lives. Now, on two occasions in Scripture, Jesus commented on people's outstanding faith. He told the Syrian woman that she had great faith, and he told the centurion that he had the greatest faith he had found in Israel. There are reasons why we have their stories recorded and why Jesus made these pronouncements. Neither the Syrian woman nor the centurion had any gold stars from Sunday school to brag about, and yet their faith is pointed out as the greatest. What are we to learn from this? Look closely, and you will see right alongside their great faith was great humility and respect for who Jesus was. They did not come to Jesus entitled, but humbled. Their confidence was not in their worthiness, but in His. Their confidence was not in who they were, but in who He was. They didn't point out things they had done to deserve a miracle from Him, but instead agreed with Jesus that they deserved nothing from Him. Jesus, in essence, called the Syrian woman a dog. And her response was, True, Lord, but a crumb from your table is all I need. Their faith was great because their pride was not just small, it was non-existent. They were outsiders, but they came anyway. This may seem small, but remember the people Jesus tried to help in John chapter 8 who quickly brushed His offer aside proclaiming they were descendants of the great Abraham and needed no help from a lowly carpenter like Jesus. The Syrian woman and the centurion had nothing to boast about before Jesus. No pedigree, no legacy, nothing. Absolutely nothing to rest their faith upon other than Him. I have studied these two accounts extensively in an effort to find their secret. Yes, in an effort to understand what they did so that I might do it also. To be honest... Their great faith seems to contradict everything I thought was necessary to have great faith. Things such as a vast knowledge of the Word, precise doctrine, spiritual maturity, consistent application of key truths, solid positive confessions, and hard-worn experience from walking with the Lord for many years. If you try to understand how they had great faith based upon what they did and what they brought to the table... You will miss what Jesus wants you to see. It's not about what they brought to the table. It's about what they didn't bring. Pride is to faith what kryptonite is to Superman. They had great faith because they didn't have any pride. They easily received from Jesus what He willingly came to give, not because of their impressive spiritual resume, but because of the simple way they came to Him and believed on Him. Settling for a form of godliness produces the unintended consequences of rejecting the power of God. I'm going to read that again. Let me stop here for a moment. We, we, we could, we have, we've talked a lot about the Syrophoenician woman, amen, and, and the centurion. Um, but, amen, 
I need, I need to stay focused. I got other stuff to cover here, but you, you do realize that um, when it comes to like spiritual disciplines and faith principles and 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 all these, you say because see, even like with the centurion, well, he understood authority. Yes, he did, but there's a lot of people who understood authority. Okay. He understood that Jesus was a man of authority. There's a difference, right? He understood authority, but his faith was not just in his understanding of authority. See, again, we're trying to, we're trying to, to extrapolate principles out of this and formulas, and let's figure out what they did, and we'll, we'll mimic it, and we'll do it too, and we'll get the same results. And Jesus will talk about how great our faith is. No, no. He, he said, look, you're not, I'm not worthy of you to come to my house. He wasn't being falsely humble there. He wasn't like... I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. He's like, no, I'm really not worthy for you to come to my house. Been a bad man. Syrophoenician woman, when Jesus called her a dog, he wasn't degrading her. Those people, if you understand what they did and how they lived and their lifestyles, they lived like dogs. They lived like animals. There's no pedigree here. There's no um, raised with a, you know, a, a silver spoon in your mouth with the 23rd Psalm engraved on it. None, none of that. Can I just really get real with you? Sometimes I got frustrated. It's like, how is it that these people have this great faith and you just easily receive? I've been trying hard at this my whole life. I see, again, it goes back to what was happening there. Now, let me, here's, I stopped to say all, and just let me cut to the chase and keep moving, okay? You would not consider the Syrian woman or the centurion to be godly, a godly man or a godly woman. I'm not judging them. Jesus said it. You people live like dogs. There is no telling the number of people that soldier had killed. No telling. All right, but now, so let's keep going. That was the point that I was wanting to reinforce, but let's keep going here. Settling for a form of godliness produces the unintended consequences of rejecting the power of God. Interestingly, the words godly or godliness do not have God, capital G-O-D, in their construction. That's why if you see them in Scripture, they're with lowercase g. The, the word in the Greek is eusebia. Eusebia. And the words speak of being devout and are not exclusively used to mean devoted to God. For example, we see the same Greek word used in Scripture to speak to a devout soldier or servant. When used by Paul in the New Testament, the words speak to an, are you ready, an externalized, so outward, externalized devotion to religious disciplines. Externalized devotion to religious disciplines. The Bible warns us about having a form of godliness and denying the power of God. Deny in this passage does not mean to refuse to admit the existence of. He's not saying that these people refuse to admit the existence of God's power. Deny in this verse means to reject, to reject the power of God. So a form of godliness speaks to our do-it-yourself efforts to please God and make ourselves right with Him. 
Think carefully about the deceptive irony here. How many people believe externalized devotion to religious principles is the key that opens the door to God's power working in their lives? The very thing that he says, the very thing that he says will cause you to inadvertently reject the power of God is the very thing that most people believe is what you have to do to access the power of God. Externalized religious devotion. Man. Man. The folks in Galatians chapter 3 certainly believe this. So do the Jewish people Paul referred to in Romans 10. Remember that when we talked about those? Oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? He goes on to say um, that um, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In Romans 10, we also see where these people had a zeal for God but not according to knowledge and they were determined to make themselves right before God in the eyes of God. But seeking to establish their own righteousness, they never submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. In both of these passages, we see people choosing a form of godliness while rejecting the power of God. And in both of these instances, it is clear the people recognize their need for God's power and have a desire for it. They do not despise the power of God of God and would most certainly be offended should you tell them they are denying the power of God in the sense of saying it doesn't exist. Once again, settling for a form of godliness produces the unintended consequences of denying the power of God. To the devout Jewish minds of Romans 10, God being pleased with you was the key to accessing his power and blessings. And the key to God being pleased with you in their thinking was righteousness. They viewed still with me? Last page. Okay. I mean, I know we're getting late. They viewed themselves, they viewed making themselves right as the way to please God and therefore have access to God's power and blessing. But the key to pleasing God is faith. Remember, apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. This is why righteousness by faith pleases God, but self-righteousness is as a filthy rag to Him. Look closely, as, look closely at these two opposing approaches to righteousness and you will find pride at the heart of one and humility at the heart of the other. The same is true with the Galatians. Paul preached salvation, righteousness by faith, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit among them. They responded by faith and were supernaturally launched into God's kingdom, power, and blessing. But after a while, they were seduced by another gospel that was anything but good news, a message that appealed to their flesh. It appealed to their sense of earning and their desire to be in control. This message placed the emphasis on their strict adherence to the disciplines and principles as a means of accessing God's power and blessing. It is an all-you-gotta-do message that focused more and more on human effort and less and less on fellowship with and faith in God. 
The Holy Spirit addressed this with the same intensity and aggression Jesus had when He rebuked Peter, telling Satan to get behind Him. In the case of the Galatians, the rebuke came in the form of who has bewitched you foolish people. Hallelujah. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this is verses 30 and 31. Verses 28 and 29 are when they ask, What must they do in order to be able to do what Jesus did? They wanted a principle. They wanted a recipe. They wanted a formula. Jesus said, you didn't come to me because you want me. You didn't come to me uh, because of the, of the signs that pointed to something greater than your next meal. You came because you ate the bread and you were filled. Don't labor for the bread that perishes, but for the bread that is to eternal life. And, they, and so he said also to them in verse 29 that their work was to believe on him whom God has sent. Believe on him whom God has sent. And so they just snapped right back. And this is what they said. What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, let me finish right here. I know I got you standing. From the outside looking in, These folks had the principles down pat. Think of the faith principles that we just see in these two verses. Diligent seeking. They rode. They put forth effort to find Jesus. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You've got to come boldly. And boy, they're being bold, aren't they? You've got to remind God of His Word. And boy, they're doing that, aren't they? You've got to refuse to quit without the answer. And all these things that have their place. And again, if you think I'm preaching against those things, you are completely wrong. Because we, amen, you get, fight the good fight of faith, having done all to stand, stand there for them. Boy, they're standing, right? I mean, Jesus has given them a word, and they're just standing their ground right up against him, nose to nose with him, quoting scripture, using the word against him, reminding all this, right? And so you would think, well, these people have all the faith principles down pat. But now watch this. I want you to compare their attitude to that of the Syrian woman and the centurion. You see the difference there? Do you see that difference right there, right? You see that difference? See, they got that John 8 attitude. We don't know who you are, but we're descendants of Abraham. And if you got something for us, you're going to have to prove it. And boy, did he have something for them. But see again, pride just cuts the knees right out from under faith. And you can't please him without faith. You can't please him without faith. You can't please him without faith. 
I'm not saying you, but a lot of folks in this world, they've tried every way in the world they can think of to please God other than believing on Him whom God has sent. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for how you're helping us. Thank you, Lord, for what you're teaching us. Father, this is, this is, this is tedious. It's time-consuming. It's... it's, it's um, it's not the same as taking a, a, a big old roller and dipping it in a five-gallon bucket of paint and just going to town. Um, but, Lord, there, there is some, some precision and there is some, some understanding, Lord, that we need. And there's some gaps that, that need to be filled in with truth. Um, Father, thank you that it's, it's not hard to receive from you. We, we don't have to try to manipulate you into giving to us. Um, but you have a very specific way um, for your children to receive as three-dimensional spirit beings living in a physical world. And according to the covenant that we now have and enjoy. And so, Father, we look forward to what is ahead, Lord, in in this study together. Thank you, Father, for helping us um, understand that Faith, true, genuine faith, rests upon you. It rests upon you, and when it rests upon you, we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here this evening. Good things coming for you and yours. If you think about us tomorrow, just amen. You pray over your food or whatever. We believe for great progress and breakthrough in, in, in those folks that we've ministered to. Have a great evening. I'll see you Sunday, if not before.